0: Before I begin, I want to say thank you to everyone. Um, If you're unaware of what my reasoning would be to say that, let me fill you in. Last weekend, we had a birthday party for my daughter, Annie James. In the days preceding the party, my son, John Calvin, had been dealing with some congestion and sinus drainage, all of which are very normal for any Georgian right now. Um, On top of that, for a Um, A baby in their first year, whether it's teething, congestion, anything, just Georgia. Um, People deal with that sort of congestion and and all those things. We just decided to watch and see if the symptoms got worse, uh, which they did. So we made an appointment for JC, got him tested for everything, um, received negative test results for anything viral. And then we're we're advised to continue watching and waiting to see if he got better and to give whatever bug he might have had a chance to run its course. Well, J.C. continued to get more congested, and we realized on the day of the party that he wasn't acting himself. That was a new layer to this, and for those of you who are parents, you know what I'm talking about, that moment where your kids are sick, but they start to have this kind of feeling where lights are on but no one's home sort of thing, and so that was alarming, and after her party ended, I sent Lark and J.C. Um, along with Pam, so Pam going with them, to urgent care while I worked on departying. partying the room, um, tearing everything down, getting Annie home for her nap. And during that time, I was, I was not worried, to be honest. I was hoping uh, to soon receive word from Lark and JC um, that he had gotten a shot to make him feel better and that he would soon be on his way home um, and back to normal. And then I got a message that I was not prepared for and it took me back. Um, and it was it just said this, O2 very low. So let me pause the story to practice something we do in the student ministry. What I'm going to do is ask you, the congregation, a question, and then someone will answer it out loud. I know it's very scary, but I promise you can do it. What is it called, or what do we call it, when something you hear, see, or experience forces you to remember something uncomfortable or painful from your past? It's another TR word. Everyone said that in first service. What is it? Triggered. Good job, everybody. Great job. I'm so proud. So proud. I should have thought of that question better. I thought for sure everyone would think triggered, but this is two services are over went trauma. Ah, triggered It's another one. Unpause, resume the story. The next thing I knew... JC's um, O2 levels were low, urgent care was sending us directly to the ER and I was packing a bag at home, hopping in the car, trying to secure care for Annie and heading to Floyd slash atrium as fast as I legally could. Um, That began a long night of tests, waiting, more tests, more waiting, and then finally getting some answers. JC had RSV and pneumonia and we would be staying overnight and conversations began about what our options might be should his oxygen levels um, not rise to a healthy level on their own. I want to say thank you because of how you responded during this and how you treated us, you cared for us, you fed us, you cared for Annie, and above all else, you prayed for us and for John Calvin, and we are so appreciative. John Calvin got to come home after a very short hospital stay, and we think and believe um, but that has so much to do with our church family, people praying for us. God gave us this gift of prayer, especially prayer for others, not just as this thing that'd be nice, but as a tool that he desired for us to use to communicate with him and to, um, I would say, plead on behalf of ourselves and others to him. Um, I'm so thankful for prayer. I'm so thankful that we have a praying church that prayed for us during that time. And I'm thankful that John Calvin is safe and whole. He's at home. He's in the nursery. And he's healthy. I'm thankful for that. Really so thankful. I need to touch on that earlier question about triggering though. Lark's text about JC's 0 2 sats were sent to me and sent me into a hard place. I was worried for him, of course, full of questions as a parent would be, but I was also triggered. And I was triggered because Lark's text was one that was so very similar to the ones that I received when my mother was in the hospital with COVID in late 2020. Throughout that time, we often received updates involving low oxygen levels and the need to get to the hospital quickly or to contact family members quickly. We faced decision after decision about what to do if her levels did not approve, conversation after conversation with doctors, well, if this happens then this and this and this. And as many of you know, my mother's battle with COVID eventually ended with her going to be with Jesus on January 1st, 2021. So this text from Lark and these conversations with doctors about low oxygen and respiratory problems and, and viruses sent me right back to the headspace that I was in at that time, the worst time of my life. Thankfully, the results of this hospital stay were different. But I could not help but wonder during that weekend and in the, in the days since, why is it that these hard moments from our past can trigger our minds in the present day, so easily. We become overwhelmed and dominated by these past painful experiences to the point that our current circumstances become even worse than they are or should be. You know, and there's this kind of idea today that we we poke fun at the word triggering as if it's just a young person thing or it's this made-up thing by Gen Zers to explain why they're so soft. That's like the typical point that a lot of people talk of when we say this, but I'm not talking about people complaining about having to go through something mildly inconvenient or saying that's triggering. I'm talking about triggering in a way that all of us can result can can relate to where someone can say or do something to you that takes you back to a dark place and not just the memory of that, but it puts you like right back in the shoes you were in when it happened. It's not a memory of pain that you feel. It is the original pain again. It's hard. We can all relate to that. Maybe that thing that someone said to you at work, that they never intended to be hurtful, is having such a strong effect on you because it's triggering you to what someone used to say to you in your past. Maybe someone even mentioning the name of someone or someplace who might have hurt you rushes all of these old feelings back into your mind. And the examples could be endless for all of us, where someone can do, say something to you, or something can happen, and then regardless of what's going on around you or or what you might be like in the present, you are right back to what was a painful or traumatic time for you. You know, one of the most amazing things about the human mind is that we have memories. It is how we learn. It is how you learn how to talk. It is how you learn any information in school you recollect it, you remember it, you recall it. That is, that is learning. That's what it all is. It's how you make a mental note to walk a wider path around the tailgate of your dad's truck because one time you caught it, the hitch in your shin and left a dent in it. Or at least that was for me. I made a mental note saying, ah, I'm going to remember, don't do that because that really hurts. Or maybe it's making the mental note to remember, Baking soda and baking powder are very different and should be treated as such when baking, right? Those are the kind of things that you're like, ah, I want to try to remember that. I don't want to make that same mistake twice. As beneficial as our memories are, and they're really beneficial, they're one of the best things that makes us human, that we can learn from past mistakes and grow and all those things. And as great as that is... They also almost have like superpowers that can be much more dangerous. They can reopen old wounds that you thought have been long since healed. They can transport you through time back to things and experiences that you have zero desire to relive. And they can convince you that years of positive change or growth in your life didn't really happen and you're still the same person you used to. It's tough. We know this about ourselves. We might not want to think about it very often, but but we know this. You know, something amazing about God is that God is all-knowing. And what's amazing about an all-knowing God is that He knows this and every other flaw that we have. Something else that's amazing about God is that He is all-powerful. And what's amazing about an all-powerful God is that He is the one who is able to equip and empower you In the midst of and in spite of your flaws and your weaknesses. There's something else that's amazing about God is that Scripture says He is the literal definition and embodiment of love. And what's amazing about a God whose name is love is that He is willing to put His knowledge and His power to work in your life. And that your flaws and your weaknesses are not too much for Him to handle they're not so much so that they annoy him or he grows tired of it or you become an inconvenience for God. God is all knowing, all powerful, and the embodiment and definition of love. So, where we struggle and we can so easily, by someone mentioning something, be thrown back into weak moments and hard moments, the things that we struggle through, God is willing, prepared, and caring enough to help us through these times. As we transition to the Word this morning, my hope is that you will see your Heavenly Father's desire for you, that the truth of God, the love of God, and the peace of God can protect you from the pain of this life, even the pain of your past. So this morning we're going to be in Philippians 4. It's a chapter in a book of Scripture that is just rich with what I call great stuff. I know, I am a true wordsmith this morning. The book of Philippians was written around AD 60 by the Apostle Paul while he was on house arrest in Rome. He wrote this letter to the believers in Philippi. And one of the things that sets his Philippian letter apart from his other letters is that he did not write this primarily to provide correction from some false doctrine or a sin issue that the Philippians were struggling with. If you go back and you look at many of Paul's letters, they read as if Paul's either responding to a letter that he had been written. It's like, hey man, we got drama. What do we do about it? Or he had heard through the grapevine of some issues or some false doctrine or something that was becoming pervasive in a church. So he would write to them to try to encourage them through that. That's not the case primarily what we see here in this letter to the Philippians. We see him writing to believers that he loves and encouraging them to keep strong in the faith, to keep pursuing Godliness and Christ-like character. He wrote this simply in hopes that these believers might be encouraged and it's with that same hope that I share with you some insights from his letter this morning that we would be encouraged. That's the hope. That is the underlying hope and thread through this whole thing this morning is that we would be encouraged. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness your translation might say gentleness, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. At the beginning of this particular encouragement in his Philippian letter, Paul wants to lay the foundation of rejoicing for us. Believers ought to rejoice, he says, in the Lord always. We ought to always worship God from out of the joy of our salvation. It is from the joy of of being saved and knowing Jesus, that we should rejoice in the Lord always. Now, before you start feeling sort of this same sort of guilt that I have often when I read scripture, that's like, well, I don't do that always. I don't even do that a lot, Uh, let alone always rejoicing in the Lord out of the joy of my salvation. Uh, It'd be kind of tough sometimes reading this. I think it's important for us to remember that Paul was not perfect at this either. Paul was not a perfect man. Paul is not someone who, upon believing in Jesus, became perfect. He was not ill acquainted with his sin. Paul did not forget what it was like to walk in sin because it wasn't something that only happened in his past. He continued, we know this from his own admission, he continued to struggle as a man of faith. He was not perfect. He was not unable to resonate with you that rejoicing in the Lord always is hard. But he still knew that it was important. He still knew and taught the importance of it. In fact, many of us can think of Paul's life and we know one of the famous things that he wrote is about the thorn in his flesh, right? This thing that he pleaded with God to rid him of. We see language that he used at times, he was essentially saying, man, stuff I don't want to do, I keep doing. And the very things I want to do, I can't seem to do consistently. That is real. That makes me feel so connected to Paul as a person. And speaking of the thorn in his flesh, many scholars and theologians believe that the thorn in his flesh that Paul wrote about might have actually been the guilt and grief that he felt felt from his former life, of persecution of Christians. Paul's a man who by the word, he was a man of authority, and by his word, and by his own actions, he persecuted the church, imprisoned and killed Christians. So if you ever worry about your past that you might bring into church on Sunday morning, Paul gets it. He was an enemy, not just the church, but of the people within it. And then he became a member of the very thing that he once sought to destroy. So talk about triggering the life of Paul that he might see or or even when he might be experiencing persecution for now being a part of the church that he might in his mind be thinking of the very times where he used to do and order those same things to be when violence or imprisonment is poured out on Paul, that he might not only have to deal with the pain of these circumstances that he's currently in, but also the pain of knowing that what he's feeling, he used to do to people. Paul is not unable to resonate with us as being people who have hard stuff in our past that seems to keep creeping into our present. But nevertheless, he understood that rejoicing in the Lord is important especially in the times where we feel ill-equipped to do so. So the first truth that I want us to see this morning as we continue to read Philippians 4 is that God offers us peace, but he offers us a peace that protects us. God offers us a peace that protects us. If you're catching it there, that language is kind of weird because peace sometimes for us seems like the absence of action, like, When we think of something being peaceful, we think of something where there's not much going on, right? But we're talking about a very active peace from God that is active on your behalf, protecting you. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Again, another famous and often quoted piece of Scripture says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says not to be anxious about anything. Not just some things, not just the unimportant things, but all things. I don't share this this morning. I always feel like there's this need to put like a disclaimer here because there are people who have used this scripture particularly to weaponize the word of God against people who might actually struggle with deep levels of anxiety that you need help with. I myself am someone who has benefited tremendously in my own life from therapy and counseling. It has been a great tool that God has used to help me in my anxiety because it's not his desire that i be anxious. Some of us might have, there are people who have chemical imbalances where they are ill-equipped and unable on their own to fight through even the smallest amounts of anxiety. This is not what Paul is speaking to here. This is not the word of God trying to shun or embarrass or ridicule people who might struggle deeply with that. In fact, I told First Service this. I'll say it again. If you have lived through COVID, if you have made it to the year 2022, you would probably greatly benefit from some level of counseling. Truly. I'm pro-counseling. I'm a pro-counseling guy. I'm pro-getting help that you need. But I'm also pro-what the word of God says. And the Word of God says to not be anxious. This is not Paul's original thought. This is a thread, again, that we see all throughout Scripture. Paul is even um, looking directly to words of Jesus in which we are told to not be anxious, but to, in return, to um, seek Him instead. And that's what he is telling us to do, to seek Him instead. What we're talking about, the type of anxiety that we're talking about today is the type that every person, regardless of circumstances, experiences, That is avoidable. There are times when I'm anxious out of nowhere. I have no idea where it came from. And and I need God to help me through that. There are also times where I see, almost in the distance, this thing coming. This thing that has the potential to lead me into anxiety and worry and stress. And that I see and am equipped and have time to maybe do something about it, but instead don't and I just let like a heavy blanket anxiety and stress and worry cover me when God's desire is that it would not be that way. Things that we are so quick to worry and become overwhelmed by that we ought to be bringing to the Lord. Some of these, for being real, might even be the anxieties that we like to have. I can only speak from the perspective of a man, but sometimes there are anxieties and stress and worry that we like to have because maybe I know that if I'm holding it, my wife's not. If I'm holding this, my children aren't. If I'm feeling this stress and worry, it's because I'm the one who's in control. Now that's foolish, it's inaccurate, but we feel that way, right? Sometimes we just like to be unhappy. Sometimes we become too well acquainted with our anxiety to the point where we think that's just who we are. God's desire is that it would be different. Paul is telling us to rejoice in the Lord and submit in thanksgiving all of ourselves to God. Every bit. Even the baggage. Even the things that trigger you. Our pain, our sens- our sensitivities, our past, the skeletons in the closet, those things that we're ashamed of, all of your anxiety, submit it to Him. Give it to Him. He is well-equipped more equipped than you are, perfectly equipped to shoulder everything that you carry and everything that I carry and the next person and the next person and the next person. Paul is telling us in a way here that to pray and to seek the Lord in thanksgiving in our times of anxiety, to surrender that anxiety to Him. He's telling us this is the most Proper way to deal with it, to rid yourself of it, because God is the one most well equipped to take it. Many of you in this room are married, and you know what it's like to, as you're dating and it, and it progresses, and you get closer and it's becoming more serious, and you start to maybe show more parts of yourself. You start to maybe open up about your own insecurities start to maybe reveal some of those things. And many of you also know that there, you could say or do whatever during engagement, but there's nothing like those first few months of marriage to truly reveal who each other is, right? All the parts, all the good, all the bad. And it's in that moment where you say, oh my gosh, whatever I thought love was before, it's not now because now I know what it is to be fully seen and fully loved by someone and to fully see and fully love them in return. That is the desire that our Heavenly Father has for us to, to love and to save and to care for every single bit of you. Even your anxiety and worry that overwhelms you does not overwhelm you. As a result, Paul says, of going to God with our anxiety to pray and to seek Him in thanksgiving, to rejoice In him, he says the result is not just that it's gone and we're left there blankly. The result is the peace, not just peace, the peace of God. Wow. Don't you in the midst of your stress, worry, and heartache just want peace? Right? My parents used to use coded language um, around the house sometimes when they would talk about money. I grew up now in what we would call lower middle class, but in, in... My home, my parents just said working class. We were paycheck to paycheck, not the way that some people say. We weren't paycheck to paycheck like in like this corny sort of way. We were like literally paycheck to paycheck. My dad was paid every other week. My mom was paid every week. On a two-paycheck week, our groceries looked a lot different than the one paycheck week, right? It was Kroger on the two and Piggly Wiggly on the one, and there was a clear difference in week to week how it was. We struggled. Money was tight. We didn't go out to eat. Going to town for us a lot of times was when they let us tag along to Walmart. It was usually a disaster because we had no proper town training because we only ever went to Walmart. So a lot of whippings in the parking lot. And then when you got home. Anyway, okay, now I'm triggered. Um, They would use this language though to talk about finances with each other in a way that maybe we wouldn't understand. That it wouldn't click. And that has now when I look back. They would use this phrase, some of you might know it, when money's getting tight towards the end of the month, they might say you're running out of money before you're running out of months, right? They would say something to the degree of that. It was just these conversations about how finances were hard and and, and things were, were tough, and it was hard for them. And I imagine now as someone who experiences that and who knows that on a way different level, what it's like, I, just can't, I can imagine my parents, I can imagine my dad laying in bed at night, unable to sleep, worried about how there's five days till he gets paid but three days until the mortgage comes out and worrying how he's going to make it. And just hoping that his kids are sleeping peacefully and they haven't overheard his parent, their parents talk about how they don't have any money. And worried that he's just hoping that my mom is getting some rest and that she doesn't feel like she's walking through this alone. And during that time, just wanting more than anything peace, what it would be like to just have peace enough to go to sleep, to forget about it for a minute. We know what it's like to desire in the midst of our most anxious moments, to just have a moment of peace. The peace of God is a step further. Paul isn't saying that this is a week or a momentary peace. This isn't just a fleeting feeling of peace before returning back to your regularly scheduled programming of stress and anxiety. Paul says the peace of God is a militant peace. It is an active peace that fights for you. It protects you. It guards and fortifies your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God is a peace that fights on your behalf and it seeks to fortify your heart to resolve it, to make it stronger. It's not just a break in the action. It is like armor for your soul is what the peace of God is. God wants to offer us a peace that protects us and the next thing is that God offers a peace that stays with us. God offers us a peace that that stays with us. It remains with us. In verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, I love that part, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. That's a bold statement by Paul that I can't say yet, but Paul could. Whatever you have learned, received, heard, and seen in me, practice these things. And what is the result of fixing our minds on these things and in seeking God, Christ-like character to live that out in our life? It says the God of peace will be with you. God offers us a peace that will be with us because it's a peace that is of Him. Paul moves on from encouraging us to to change how we respond to stress and worry to this idea of taking an active role in preventing our future anxieties. So read verse 8 again. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I can tell you that when I'm anxious and overwhelmed, when I was triggered by the pain in that hospital of the the darkest season of my life, the last things on my mind were what Paul mentioned there in verse 8. In that moment, the last thing on my mind were true, honorable, just, lovely things. The only thing on my mind were worrisome, stressful, anxious, dark things. And if I can be honest, if I were to try to force my mind to think about those things in that moment, it would have likely been ineffective. And if I can be a little more real with you this morning, it might have actually made it worse. Right? When someone who's just trying to help, Someone says, hey, remember, God loves you. Man. My mom's on a vent. I know God loves me. This is hard. You know, like that sort of pain, it is hard in those moments. In the dark nights of the soul, it is hard in those moments to recollect these things if they have not what you've been putting into if they have not been what you've been feeding yourself with. If you can zoom out with me, you can see that Paul is almost giving us wisdom for how to respond to current anxiety and how to uh, prepare for future anxieties. We respond to anxiety in the present by prayer and making requests to God, by turning it over to the Lord, by praying to Him, by acknowledging His goodness, and requesting His help and His guidance. We prepare for those dark nights of the soul that might come in the future by filling our minds to the point of overflowing with what is true, what is honorable, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely, what is commendable and excellent, and what is worthy of praise, the only thing worthy of praise, which is Jesus. It says to prepare yourself for those hard things that come in life, that adults, you understand what I mean, these hard things you go through in your life. To prepare yourself is to fill your mind with these things, with things of God. Paul says the result is not that we become super smart. It's not that you become a better Sunday school teacher. He does not say Think of all these things so that you can be better at Bible Bible drill. That's not the result of all this. It says, think on these things so that you have the God of peace with you always. Isn't that awesome? That's the result. That's the promised result of fixing our minds on these things. That the peace of God might not just be the thing that I break glass in case of emergency to access, but the peace of God which surpasses all understanding might accompany me wherever I go. When you think about it, believers, and so that I might have eyes to see the peace of God and it actually says be God of peace. That I might see the companionship that I already have with me wherever I no, it's a Baptist church and we don't talk about this very often, but the Holy Spirit of God indwelling in the temple which is your heart, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, God is with you always. Always if you believe in Jesus. If you've been changed by the work of His Son, He is always with you. Whether you see or not, He is. But to fix our eyes and our minds on things from verse eight in a way is to have those blinders removed to see that God is with me always caring for me always protecting me always he doesn't say it's gotten too hard this hospital waiting room is stressing me out so I'm going to go wait outside let me know when things are done he doesn't say you're getting really inconvenient and your stress about your finances is just kind of bumming me out so Let me know when you want to be fun again. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit is with you always. I started thinking about all this in response to my pain and anxiety from what was a triggering and stressful time. I knew in my brain that God was with us. I knew that God was protecting John Calvin. I knew that God was giving myself and Lark the strength that we needed to exist in a hospital and deal with respiratory illness even though we had both lost a mother and a mother-in-law that we miss. Honestly, no, there was no one I wanted to call more than, <laughs> in this time than my mom, which made it worse. I knew God was equipping us and caring for us. And I knew that this time in the hospital was not two years ago. I knew this was a different thing. I knew it. I knew these things somewhere in my mind but I felt no peace about it in my heart. I realize now that in all areas of my life, I would benefit from filling my mind consistently with what we saw in verse 8. My mind is often overflowing with the things of this world. My commitments, distractions, responsibilities, all the stuff we have to do. And sometimes I operate and I walk through life as if I have reserved God in my faith I've given him one folder in the filing cabinet that is my mind. And it's like, okay, all of these things go in this one folder and and everything else is just the real important stuff that I need to access on my daily walk. Guys, I'm in ministry and I'm confessing this to you. I know I'm not alone here. We reserve and file away our faith in this small corner of our mind and it just kind of is in the background there. Truly like that breaking case of emergency thing. I access it when I need it, know where it is, but every every time else, I'm thinking about other stuff. Thinking about what I got to do, where I got to be. And I wonder, when I treat God and His Word and His truth that way, why in the midst of turmoil I cannot find these things that I know, that I cannot recall these things in the midst of turmoil. I wonder why, Alan. Because you filed it away with all the other unimportant things. God doesn't desire for his love, his grace, his mercy, and his goodness to be this thing that you learn about and then file away. It's God's desire and it's Paul's encouragement that you would think about these things all the time. That this would be a consistent practice in your life. That you would guard your heart from things that aren't this. You would protect yourself from what would be the, like, antonyms of all these things. That's a much better word. You would fill your mind with what is good and guard your mind and your heart from what is not. That we might be people who are, you know, I go with me here, this is a little corny, but I'm proud of it. That we might be people who are able to be triggered by truth. That's good. I'm going to sell that to Hobby Lobby for a bumper sticker. We might be people who can be triggered by the truth and love of our Savior by our circumstances. See, in the way that, that it just takes a moment. Some of you are like, man, there's even smells that send me back to bad places. It's just the smallest thing that can happen to you that can send you back and darken your heart and put you in the most awful things that you've ever experienced. and puts you right back there. Paul and God's desire is that the same would happen with God's Word. That when hardship comes your way, that you would so quickly, almost instinctively, pull with Because of what you are feeding yourself, you would pull the truth and love and grace and mercy and goodness of God and his love for you and his care for you and his protection for you. That that would be the thing that rushes to the forefront of your mind and instead of being in the darkness of despair that you're at the foot of Jesus when you go through hard things. That is God's desire for us. And it's not that we would walk in and be overcome by darkness only to get better and then rip the band-aid off and go through it all over again. Now we're real people and it's going to happen. And it's going to continue to happen in my life. And it's going to continue to happen where I think about mom. It's going to continue to happen where I think about that thing someone said in eighth grade. It's going to continue to happen where I think about things I wish I could forget. But it's God's desire that it wouldn't. And it's his wisdom and teaching that we would protect and guard ourselves from it. That we might be people who are able to keep a better level of composure and perspective during times of stress and worry, instead of being triggered by our past that I believe Satan wants to weaponize against us. You see, when I think in more proper perspective, I think of how what I went through with mom led to one of the most amazing things in my life. Um, so I lost my mom January 1st, 2021, and, and in that same year, my father was baptized. Those two things are connected. My father would not be knowing and walking with Jesus right now if it wasn't for, for how God ministered to our family in the aftermath. And my mom would love that. My mom does love that, I'm confident. But in those moments, I don't think about maybe the good that's come through, the hard things I've gone through. I just think about the bad. But proper perspective, being able to zoom out, allows us to see, man, even these hard things have led to really great things. Not always, but sometimes, man, it really does lead to better things on the other side. It's not just being able to see the silver lining, that following Jesus and the peace of God. The peace of God is not the silver lining. But the peace of God is, is, is seeing our companion and our helper who's with us always. Let's use that word companion. Guys, this, this only is relevant to your life if you follow Jesus. This is not just getting up here and giving a self help thing where I'm telling you, hey, you ain't got to follow Jesus, but just read the stuff he said and try to like, memorize it. And then when you go through hard stuff, you'll magically make better decisions or you won't be overwhelmed so much, or you won't be anxious, and you know what would even help more? Maybe combine this, and like also combine like things that other faiths teach as well. Just kind of morph it all together in your brain. Just try to pull good stuff from everywhere, and, and it'll work out. You'll be less anxious. You'll be better. You'll be a better person. That's not the way it works. Because I'm telling you, if you do not know and walk with Jesus, then any anxiety that I could hopefully lift, I wish I could. Any anxiety that I could lift from your shoulders by telling you to read and study good things from God's Word, any anxiety I could help to give you relief from, pale in comparison to the anxiety of not knowing Jesus and not having your anxiety, your eternity secure. What matters first and foremost, the order of operations here is that you see your need for Jesus, you follow Him in belief and faith, and then you think on what is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, it's pure. The list goes on and on. You have to know Jesus first. You have to, and then all these things are promised only through His Holy Spirit at work inside us. That makes sense. It's got to be clear. If I'm not making that clear, I make a mistake. We know Jesus first. It's faith in Jesus first. And it's not putting Jesus back on the shelf after we get out of the baptistry. Use him. Use him. Think on these things. And prepare yourself for the dark days that we all know come in our life. We might be better equipped for